Good afternoon. You are listening to Kathy's Corner, um, <clears throat> and I'm Kathy Connor. We're on WPKN 89.5 FM and always streaming online at WPKN.org. We just heard a little bit from Fiona Apple's version of Across the Universe. I thought that would be an interesting way to start the show today. Uh, the shows are podcasts, so you can find them, and not just my show, but many shows on SoundCloud, WPKN Community Radio. If you're looking for my shows, they'll be under Kathy's Corner. So I am on less often than I was for many years, but I'm always happy to come to this great station that's on the move. So many of you regular listeners are aware that WPKN is going to move to a beautiful new studio, which they richly deserve. So it's always my joy to come here. This will probably be my last show at the older studio, <laughs> the original studio. And uh, it's my pleasure to continue to inform. Hopefully, I'm inspiring you when I'm here on the air. So I air on the fifth Wednesday of the month. That's where we are. Even though September is a shorter month, it does have five Wednesdays. <laughs> so that was a fun uh, thing to notice. Um, so the next Kathy's Corner will be December 29th. Uh, my expertise is the field of consciousness. So that's what we're going to discuss today and how the development of inner life supports success and happiness in outer life, in our day-to-day -day active life. The outer is a reflection of the inner. So taking care of this very important aspect of life is a necessity for best outcome. It's not a casual thing to look into. Hopefully you've learned from my shows that it's actually a, quite a necessity. To understand consciousness more thoroughly, since that is the constant underlying theme of the show, just as it is the constant underlying element of life, uh, I plan to spend the next two shows, this one and the December show, providing more depth of understanding about this fundamental and important aspect of everyone's life. Everyone has consciousness. Everyone has awareness. And to understand consciousness more deeply, as I said we were planning to do, deeper than, say, just a word we use behind waking, dreaming, sleeping, it's become a little more casual. Let's, let's dive deep. I'm going to spend some more time just on this topic alone, so we won't have a, a separate theme that corresponds. Today, we're just going to talk about consciousness. So I've mentioned many times on this show, pretty much every time I've been on, uh, that there is more to experience in terms of consciousness, not just waking, dreaming, sleeping. And these states of consciousness can also be improved when the basis of consciousness, deeper values of consciousness, are more clear and lively. And throughout time, many people have experienced these enhanced levels of clarity and alertness and joyfulness. There is a fourth state of consciousness that can be experienced and with <clears throat> familiarity becomes a stable part of your life. It's not just a story. The fourth state, like the other three, is a defined state of consciousness that is experienced while the mind is going deeply inward, settling down becoming less active. And it's been documented to be experienced during the transcendental meditation practice particularly. And again, if you're a regular listener, you know what my day job might be. <laughs> I am an instructor, a certified teacher 
of this particular form of meditation, the Transcendental Meditation Program. Uh, We call it TM for short. So it's been documented to be experienced that during the TM practice, one experiences this fourth state. Um, Particularly during TM, it happens every time to varying degrees, yes, but this is an experience that can happen to anybody, anytime and anywhere. Let's say you're an athlete, you could call it the zone or a runner's high. If you're Oprah, you could call it an aha moment. <laughs> this, these are experiences we're capable of having when we have clearer awareness. So it's, it's normal, really. Unfortunately, not so common, not consistent, we can say. Now, how do we define the fourth state? Well, it's called transcendental consciousness, but physiologically, it's defined as restful alertness. The mind is clear, orderly, coherent. At the same time, the body is settled. It's rested, deeply rested. There's ample science to support this, as well as I'm saying, mentioning the experience of those who are doing it. You know, so it's subjective. You're experiencing it. It's objective. It's measurable. And like all the other states of consciousness, it can be defined in the same way, experience and science. There is a physiology of consciousness. For example, during the practice of TM particularly, but when anyone's experiencing this transcendental state, they would show an increase in order and coherence with an alpha-1 type of brainwave pattern. Alpha-1 not the most common, but it's not uncommon. You might see it in world-class athletes and highly successful yet integrated people. Um, so it's not unusual, but just not so common. But it happens during transcending with everyone. Whether you're practicing for five days or five decades, you'll see that the research shows that there's this alpha state because it's a response It's a response to the coherence that's being generated in the brain. There's also a strengthening of the neural connections, among many other things that can happen to the brain during this practice. Just increase of order, coherence, interconnection of the parts to, to create that greater wholeness. This can be seen and measured. So this is what's happening physiologically. Now, the body also shows many signs of deeper and different rest, It's been measured against just eyes closed rest, significant difference in respiration and cortisol levels, for example, which can be as much as 30% less when one is transcending. And the results of that show a decrease in stress-related illnesses in particular, like cardiovascular disease and anxiety and depression. So TM is a simple, natural program for the mind with many significant ramifications for a more orderly successful outer life. Now, just to summarize, you can always check the website, tm.org, but there are 400 peer-reviewed science, scientific studies, and peer-reviewed means it's been observed and critiqued by uh, objective scientists that has to meet a particular uh, requirement in order to be published. And all of these studies combined, quite compelling But they're indicating something general, that the body-mind is resetting, rebalancing. And that's really what we're all seeking. So exposure to this fourth state of consciousness, it allows for the integration of the qualities of restful alertness to become part of the other three. Waking, dreaming, sleeping can be um, more clear, more enriched, stress-free dreams. (laughs) How about that? So to continue our discussion on consciousness, I I just want to start simply. And let's just notice. Let's look around. And what is it that we're noticing? We're noticing that there are things. (laughs) I'm sitting uh, right in front of a microphone is in front of me. and um, So there are things. We're observing. Things exist. Experiences exist. You're observing something. And experiences are about evolving and change because they change. So if we're alert, <clears throat> if we're observant, we're going to notice that these things in the outer world, they change, they grow, they evolve with some orderliness or intelligence. 
So here's an example I like to use. If you plant an apple seed, there will be an apple tree. It doesn't change its mind because it doesn't really have one like we do, but it has an intelligence, and that intelligence produces a beautiful apple tree. Uh, The same thing with the planets. It's a good thing that the sun doesn't make a decision that, yeah, I'm kind of bored out here. Let's let's take a little little journey, a little trip. No, please don't do that. (laughs) Okay, we're already making enough mess ourselves. We don't need the sun to move. So, there's an intelligence everywhere, all around us. There's alertness, there's awareness, there is consciousness, because we're conscious. Okay, that's the start of it all. Life, we could say existence, is intelligence. Consciousness is the existence of everything, and consciousness is the intelligence of everything. Now, this is the real theory of everything, or the ultimate experience, when one realizes that consciousness is primary, consciousness is fundamental, everything else is secondary. That includes matter, fields, human physiology, for example. Okay, so let's talk about that for a minute. Consciousness is the basis for the human physiology. It's, it may be easier for us to understand it the other way around because it's kind of our training to be on the tangible level, the sensory level, and understanding is primarily in that field of the senses. We experience the concrete aspect of life, and that's what dominates our awareness mostly, things, for example. So we might think that, oh, the brain is formed and then consciousness just magically appears. <laughs> that would be cool, but that's not what happens. Uh, we're in the age of quantum theory, where we know more clearly how the subtle supports the gross. In fact, matter fields are based in energy fields. This is not uh, a new piece of information for those of us who understand science or have a cell phone. <laughs> Perceiving at the most fundamental levels of the mind, It's known that consciousness in its simplest form is the reverberation of natural law, or really the reverberations of natural law that become more manifest and result in the field of material things. Those are the concrete things. They don't start at the concrete level. Those reverberations transform into matter, and that includes the human physiology. So the cause of the physiology is found in the field of consciousness. So that leads us to understand that if we can contact that subtlest field, there can be a lot of healing that can take place for the human physiology. And when we become more aware that consciousness is primary, then we can understand that without it, there's no awareness, there's no effect and really no material world. So it is a big consideration. It is a big point to understand And I really appreciate that many of you just hang in there with me when we talk about it, (laughs) because I know it's less concrete than what we're familiar with, but we all have it. We all have consciousness. I'm talking about a refined value of it now. So consciousness is wakefulness, alertness, pure intelligence, and pure existence. It's the ability to be conscious of anything. In its most sublime and subtlest state, consciousness is fully awake and knows its full potential, which is to generate matter, at the same time always being connected to, referring back to itself. So that means there are these two things that are forming. Consciousness is always present as matter fields are emerging. And again, if you're a regular listener, which I hope many of you are, you know that I often mention that life moves in two molds, There's rest, there's activity, there's the stop and start, there's the inward, there's the outward. So all that we see, all the the varied things and objects, are the expressions of the orderly unfolding of consciousness. So consciousness is fundamental to life. Everything we do, see, experience, is an impulse of consciousness and because of consciousness. Consciousness is not something to be found, it already exists. It's something to expand and refine. And matter begins with that stir of the finest level of consciousness. So consciousness is therefore the coexistence of these two things, these two qualities of intelligence that 
may seem contradictory, but actually they're not. There's unity in an absolute field, and there's infinite diversity and all around us. We, we know about infinite diversity just from Google. <laughs> you can Google anything, and you can know anything. Okay, <laughs> this is a profound point, not the Google point, but this is a profound point that can take years to comprehend. So here we are, 50 minutes or so on the radio. <laughs> but there is some good news for those who want to explore this point in greater depth. For those sweet seekers of deeper understanding where science brings us to the door, but there are still some limitations there. For those who have questions, is this all there is? Why are we here? What are we capable of? Is there more? Am I going to get a parking ticket? (laughs) We have questions. There are some limitations in our capacity to comprehend, and that's based on somewhat how our mind was cultured to primarily experience the boundaries around us. But our questions want to take us out of that box, to go beyond the familiar and explore more. And that's the nature of the seeker. So today, for just a little while, let's go beyond those boundaries and enjoy more about this fundamental field of existence, of consciousness. A new book written by Dr. Tony Nader explains in great detail the depth and breadth of consciousness from both a scientific point of view and from an ancient system of knowledge perspective, especially Vedic understanding. The book is called One Unbounded Ocean of Consciousness, Simple Answers to the Big Questions in Life. Dr. Nader is a medical doctor trained at Harvard and MIT, where he has a PhD in neuroscience. He's also a globally recognized Vedic scholar and head of the International Transcendental Meditation Organization um, in over 100 countries. Dr. Nader's new book is available in ebook on Amazon and hopefully soon in hard copy. It's a fascinating read, but it's also mind-altering because it takes us out of the mindset and into deeper understanding of consciousness and how it applies to our own lives. At the start of the book, Dr. Nader proposes questions that aren't uncommon to us, the natural seeker, and who want to understand, experience more. He proposes questions about the origin of consciousness and matter and how they're related. But then he says, and this is a quote from the book, One thing is for sure, if we were not conscious beings, none of this would matter. (laughs) Without consciousness, there is no questioning, no choice no freedom, no responsibility. There would neither be dreams, feelings, hopes, desires, pain, nor joy. Consciousness is the indispensable screen that expresses, upholds, and even shapes all knowledge and experience. So that's the end of the quote from the book. And although science has its theories that have evolved over the centuries and recent decades particularly, to comprehend finer values of natural law, it is the ancient knowledge, especially Vedic knowledge, Vedant, that clearly describes that consciousness is primary, is the source of the material universe, and that consciousness creates matter, or more precisely, as Dr. Nader mentions in his book, consciousness appears as matter. So addressing consciousness in our own lives, enlivening it, refining it, should be a primary consideration for us if we want successful life, if we want to change ourselves, if we want to change the community, nation, and planet to reflect more order and intelligence. We want to address refining the experience of consciousness in the individual and collective life so that we can directly express those qualities of consciousness. So Dr. Nader gives many talks on consciousness with the aim to enlighten the listener that there's a possibility that there is a field of all possibilities and that life can be lived at higher levels of consciousness. He has quite a few podcasts. He has a YouTube channel, for example, so you can find him there on the internet. Recently, Dr. Nader spoke with Mo Gaudat, who is the former chief business office officer at Google, and he's also an author himself. And what they discussed was real interesting. They discussed artificial intelligence and consciousness. 
So if you want to look for that, you could find it on Apple, Spotify, or SoundCloud. And in his book and on his podcast, Dr. Nader emphasizes unfolding our own full potential. That is our birthright and is not exclusive to only one sort of lifestyle or person. And because it's not so easy to catch up with Dr. Nader for an interview, (laughs) I selected a talk from his YouTube channel to play for the next 30 minutes. It's entitled, What is Pure Consciousness? And I hope you can enjoy that. Mind and body were considered two different things, you know, Descartes and from that philosopher's time. And how do they meet? How do they interact? And science is trying to understand that. And now we realize more and more that mind and body are a continuum where what happens in the body is reflected in the mind and also what happens in the mind has an effect on the physiology. Not just an effect. You know, we've heard of psychosomatic diseases. You have a problem of anxiety or fear and then you find that your stomach aches, that you have an ulcer, or you get problems of hypertension, etc. And so it's like, what is the effect of the mind on the body? But now we know that actually all that happens in the mind is reflected physiologically and vice versa. So this profound unifying value of mind and body is on the theoretical level very important. But most importantly, on the utilitarian, pragmatic level, it actually helps to transform life from pain, suffering, into a situation of wholeness and fullness of life in a natural, easy way. If you ask scientists today what is consciousness, there is no one who can fully answer that. You know, there are interests in consciousness has started in 40, 50 years ago. But it became a serious quest in modern scientific research only like 20 years ago or so. And uh, the problem that we encounter is that there is a dissociation between what we call the mechanisms that lead to perception and how this perception actually is projected into something which we call abstract, such as feeling, such as... Uh, Even the appreciation of redness, for example, you know, you can think exactly how the light is uh, reflected on a flower, how it goes through the retina to the eyes, then goes through certain neurons, goes to the occipital lobe, then it gets moving to different areas of the brain and creates a reaction there. But how does the individual say, I am happy, I like it, it's, I seen red something, is red. That is what scientists have called qualia, Q-U-A-L-I-A. And that is uh, the experience, the experiencer. So most people feel that maybe one day we will discover all of these mechanisms of what happens between an experience and the awareness of the experience. And they call this the easy problem. It's the easy problem because it is potentially one day understandable. The easy problem is like, uh, if you compare it to the universe, is like knowing exactly where every planet and every star is in the universe and how they interact with each other and how they are going to be in the future in, in so many thousands or millions of years. That's a huge problem. It's not like the easy problem is already solved. We know a lot about the brain today, but not enough to pretend that we know a lot. And still, we know that we are going to one day to be able to understand all these mechanisms of perception, of cognition, how we hear a sound, how we see a flower. But we have no clue, or science has no clue today, about consciousness itself. Is it a screen on which all of these things happen? Where is that screen? The understanding from the ancient times, from Maharshi's tradition, and also from articles that I have written, and even in mathematics uh, about consciousness, is actually when you look at it very profoundly, you realize 
there is one thing you can be 100% sure about. We can ask ourselves, can we be sure that, uh, that the flower is made by molecules? Yes, in some level, because science says that. But what are the molecules made of? They're made out of atoms. What are the atoms made of? Elementary particles. What are the elementary particles made of? They're made of, of waves. That's what the science, the physics tells us. Vibrations in the fields, different fields. Electromagnetic field, field of gravitational forces, of strong force, weak force. And then they say, what are these made of? Where do they come from? And then scientists have discovered that actually they come from a more unified level of fields. Ultimately, being a field of pure existence, which scientists call the unified field of all the laws of nature. So when we look at the flower or we look at anything or any event, we are looking at it from a certain angle, certain point of view, a certain perception. We are not sure, for example, that the bat sees the flower the same way as we do, because bats, for example, don't have eyes. They have, they have kind of eyes, but they don't use the electromagnetic field. They use sound waves, so they project like a radar. The sound goes to the object and gets reflected, goes back to their detectors, and then they feeling the sound, the vibration that things are there. What is the essence of things? What is real? And in fact, this is a problem in philosophy and science for hundreds of years, even thousands of years. Ultimately coming to the conclusion that we cannot really know things in their essence. We can know things as they appear to us. But there is one thing we can, as human beings, be absolutely sure about. And that is we are conscious. We are aware. We are conscious. We know we are conscious. We can be sure of our own awareness because everything projects on our awareness. But the body changes, the physiology changes, the environment changes. And, you know, for the existentialists and all the philosophers, it's a field of change, you know, and some of them call it a field of constant death <laughs> to dramatize things. So the relative is a field of change, change, constantly changing. Even you look at a stone, it looks the same, but its, its molecules are changing, its atoms are changing all the time, and its electrons are moving. So it's never the same, really. It's always a field of change. There is one area which is always there with us as humans, is consciousness. So in trying to resolve the problem of what is consciousness, Scientists attempt to explain it on the level of what happens in the brain and how can we understand from the physical level the awareness coming on the mental level. And they are not finding any clue. So if you want to answer what is consciousness in science, today there is not even a hint, not even an idea. You know, people try to say it's quantum mechanics, it's something, but it's all theories, and there is not one idea of what is consciousness. On the other hand, what is the physical world that we live in? What is it made of? And if you go deeper and deeper into it, as we went from the molecules to the atoms to the particles to the fields, we find that modern physics is telling us that there is a field which is called the unified field of all the laws of nature, which itself is a field that is beyond time and space, that is infinite, that is unbounded, that has all the laws of nature, that actually vibrates and appears to be the different fields that become elementary particles coming together, becoming atoms, atoms coming together, molecules, molecules coming together, becoming biology, cells, and then the biology creating the brain, and then some mental processes. So the theory is, it's a theory, but you know that is the theory I'm proposing and that Marshi has proposed, is that actually this unified field is a field of consciousness. So in fact, the primary reality of life is a field of pure being, which is consciousness. And then how consciousness appears as matter is a different 
issue, but mathematically you can actually get to it and show that it is possible. So going from something which is absolutely unmanageable, how does consciousness come from matter, we are now having a different problem. How does matter come from consciousness? It seems as hard and as difficult, but actually it turns out to be much more easy to resolve, and that's where uh, you know, my mathematical papers have been written on that. See, we, we start with the uh, assumption, let's say, which is more than an assumption, that there are laws in nature. You know, if you drop a pen, it falls in a certain way on the ground. It has a certain trajectory which you can analyze and get exactly how it happens. Why? Because there is a law of gravity and of relationship of forces and mass. You can calculate these and the pen will fall exactly as you expect it. Now, it's the same in electromagnetism and all aspects of life. So either life is a chaotic reality or there is order in creation. So the fact that there is evolution and there is law, law of electromagnetism, law of capillarity, you can say all kinds of laws of nature. These are what we call laws of nature. It's not like the law of the jungle. You know, it's not nature meaning going to the jungle. But nature means the entire field of life, the entire field of existence has laws within it. Now, if there are laws, it means that your action is going to have a reaction. So the principle, as you saw, shall you reap, is a real thing because if you plant a, an apple tree, an apple seed, you're going to get apples when the tree grows. You're not going to get mangoes or bananas. So there is an order in creation. This order, humans, we assume that stops on the physical level. In fact, it doesn't stop only on the physical level. It stops on the mental level, it stops on the social level, it stops also on the behavioral level, or it doesn't stop at all. It's everywhere. So in order to live a life which is most fulfilling, we want to be able to live in accordance with the laws of nature because there is a force of evolution. And if we are able to use that force of evolution to our advantage, then we are happy. We don't create friction or problems. Otherwise, if you act against the laws of nature, if you like, then you are going to have more difficulty in achieving your goal. The question is, how do we know how to act in accordance with the laws of nature? There are so many laws, and science is trying to discover them, but it's really unfathomable. Even if you know them intellectually, how do you know under this circumstance to act in accordance with this? There are so many variables that are involved. This brings us to this knowing the self. And knowing the self, therefore, is based on really what we just said before, and that there is a field of life, which is the unified field of the laws of nature, that contains all the laws. If you are in tune with that, then you are able to automatically and spontaneously act in accordance with the laws of nature. It so happens in the Vedic tradition, in Maharshi's teaching, and in the experience that we have, that that is our self. The unified field is not something that is outside. Because we said this field creates the other fields, creates the atoms, the molecules, the human biology, and the whole universe. Therefore, when you ask what is the table, it's ultimately the unified field. But we are also that unified field. We are also that unified field. But our awareness is limited due to different stresses and problems to a perception of who we are on a surface level. I am this person who has this name, who has this profession, who has this problem, who has these capacities, who has these limitations, these shortcomings, these qualities, etc. And we put ourselves in this box, the box of my small self. And we assume we are that thing. And once we have assumed that, we act in the context of that. What transcendental meditation does is allow us to go within and dive deeper and deeper to actually reach the true self, 
which is the unified field, which we are saying is a field of consciousness. That's how we tie our original kind of thought about consciousness with the self, with the unified field. So going back to the self is going back to the self of everything and the self of everyone. Why? It's the unified field. It's the same one self. What do you get by going through that? These are the practical benefits. But before we get to the specifics, at least what you get is to know yourself. You know, this wisdom, know thyself, has been there since time immemorial, since the Greeks and before. Everybody says, know thyself, go back to yourself, anchor yourself in yourself, and then you can do more in the outside. So by knowing the self and knowing that the self is more than just the small box in which we have put ourselves, that it's an infinite source of creativity and intelligence, that is the source of the ability to act spontaneously in accordance with the laws of nature because we are established in that reality. That gives us more clarity, more intelligence, because that is the source of all clarity and all intelligence. And therefore, it's not something that we manipulate on the intellectual level. Because you can think about the unified field all day long, it gets you tired, you know, <laughs> because of the exercise of trying to understand the physics or it. It doesn't help you, except maybe a little theoretically. What is important is this unified field, which is in a way a theoretical reality, but physics has talked about it, is accessible. There is a technique to access it. There is a system to get it. And the system is very simple. Just let your mind settle, settle, settle down, settle down, settle more down until it reaches that state of pure self, pure being, pure silence, which is the unified field. And how to do it? There is a technology of the mind. So knowing the self is the most important thing one can do, even on a theoretical level, to achieve fullness of life, wholeness of life, happiness in life. The interesting thing about us human beings is that we have, we can say a product of evolution, we can look at it in different ways or of creation or whatever, doesn't, the way we came to be what we are doesn't matter, we are what we are right now. And uh, is that we have this ability to be conscious and be conscious that we are conscious also. So the brain is a machine, you know, that actually reflects the structure of natural law in such a way that it allows us to experience these values, these higher states of consciousness. And how does it do it? It does it by having many processors, if you like. You can think of the brain as multiple processors. You have a place where you have the analysis of hearing, a place for seeing, you have a place for feeling, you have a place for anticipation of the future, you have a place for memory, you have a combination of places for memory actually, and then appreciation of distance, appreciation of depth, you know, all of these things. And you have a place where it recollects things from the past, puts them into the knowledge that you have learned so that to check what am I gonna do in the future, such as in the frontal lobes, you have a fact-checking side, which is more the right frontal area. You have an interpreter side, which is sitting there interpreting things so it makes sense for us, you know, what we are doing, because sometimes we do things, and then actually the brain afterwards starts interpreting why we did it. There is research like this, very interesting, which shows that we decide to do something, and we think we have consciously decided it, but the body had already made the decision, and then there is in the brain someplace, which is called the interpreter, that comes along later and interprets why you have chosen something. And sometimes these interpretations have nothing to do with the actual reality of why you did it. But it doesn't matter. We have all of these processors. Imagine you have thousands of computers. That's what the brain is like, with chips, if you like, but they are interconnected. Now, when, you, when one is stressed, when one is tired, when one is facing potential danger, there are mechanisms in the brain that shut down other things so that you defend yourself, fight or flight response. 
And that also activates the body because the body has to act. The body has to be ready to fight or has to be ready to run away. And then these mechanisms, therefore, are intimately interconnected. Now, under stressful situation, there are things that happen. But if one has accumulated stress throughout life, you are actually blocking the interconnection between these different parts of the brain. Because stress, as we said, is something we experience on the mind. I feel stressed, I feel tired. But actually stress is a physical thing because mind and body are intimately related. They're just really the same. And stress is a physical thing. There are some molecules in the brain, there are some circuits in the electricity of the brain that have been transformed. And that's what we call stress. So stress actually has a physical imprint in the nervous system that is experienced mentally as fear, fatigue, depression, etc. But there is something there. For every actually thought we have, there are some molecules and some electrical activities that happen in the brain. If we are stressed and we've accumulated stress throughout life, our brain is not functioning in its full potential because these different processors are not well connected or they are rusty, if you like, trying to take an example. So you are able to analyze things and work on things from a limited perspective, from a small perspective, rather than what we call use your full potential. Okay, so how to do it? What to do? And this is where we call upon a mechanism which is very powerful in the human body and the physical brain. And that is the ability of the body to repair itself. You don't have to do something really from the outside that much. The body has a mechanism to repair itself. For example, it has the immune system. If you have a foreign body that comes in, let's say a thorn goes into the finger and you leave it there, the immune system is going to put a battle there and remove it from you. If you have a bacteria that comes or a virus, you know, the, the body attacks it and removes it. If you are tired, what do you do? You don't try to pull the tiredness out of your muscles, somehow pushing them away. What you do is you rest. When you rest, the body automatically repairs itself. It's part of the system. That's how it's built. But you have to really give it a chance. If you're running and you don't rest, if you're tired and you don't sleep, you are exhausting your system. People who don't sleep, ultimately, they can die. If they don't have enough experience of deep sleep and dreaming, actually die. You can die from not sleeping. Uh, you can die from exhaustion also. So the body needs rest in order to remove tiredness and fatigue. In transcendental meditation, the rest that is gained because the mind settles down, becomes more and more quiet, more and more quiet, is much deeper than the deepest sleep. That is also proven and studied scientifically on all kinds of parameters of the physiology. So when you're giving the body this deep rest, it's going to use its mechanisms of repair automatically. And this time, it's going to repair not just the superficial fatigue of the muscles, but much deeper fatigue, which we are calling stress. So it's going to readjust the system and clean up the system. We have to give it a chance. That's why regular practice of meditation is very important because that is how you rejuvenate yourself. See, when we go through a day, we don't have only physical fatigue. We have mental fatigue because you know, of strain on the mind or deceptions, but also if we have excitation of some positive things sometimes, they can leave a mark on the system. So to reboot the system, you know, it's like you have a computer and if you overload it with different softwares and programs, suddenly it goes nuts. And, you know, what can you do? Most of us know, you just turn it off. You turn the computer off, it reboots and reorganizes itself because there were so many conflicts of programs and software and all of that. That happens to us humans. Do we not need to reboot a little bit? So happily, we can reboot through sleep, which is wonderful. Um, but there is a different and deeper way 
to reorganize ourselves, and that is what transcendental meditation gives us. Once you have cleaned up the system, then this frontal lobe, this occipital lobe, parietal lobe, this part of it, this lower part, upper part, subolicular part, this part, they kind of are activated and awakened and cleaned up. It's a time of cleaning up. And now they talk to each other more. And when they talk to each other more, you have much more processing power. Now, if you have a problem, automatically the brain processes it. You don't even have to be thinking too much about it intellectually, but automatically you process it in a positive way, in a clear way, in an evolutionary way. That's how it gives you more happiness because happiness is also to grow, to progress, to achieve one's goals. So established in the self means having a brain that is clear from interferences because we are saying these interferences are foreign to us. So they're not us. That is why the, the relationship between the self and the non-self. The non-self is stress, is tiredness, is fatigue is rustiness in the brain, is all of this. These are the stresses. They are not us. So going back to the self actually means going back to the normal, natural functioning of the system that we have, and therefore the ability to achieve more, to be more, and to be more creative, and be able to progress in life in a direction of fulfillment. See, whatever we experience in our awareness has a reason or a meaning. You know, if we experience pain or we experience anxiety or we experience these things, these are different indications of where our physiology is and our mind. It's both mind and body. These are two things. It's like, you know, if you are on a, on a ship or a, or a plane or something, and there are all these uh, connections from different parts of the ship, and they come to the board, on the board of the captain, and he or she sees a light goes and says, oh, there is a problem in the engine. Oh, there is, there is uh, something went wrong in this room. Uh, this light shows there is something in the ventilation system. Okay, these are like a board which tells you what is happening. You can think of the mind as being like this, really. Now, we don't know it always. We lose when we lose contact with ourselves, with our body, with our feelings, with, and when the whole system is all mixed up, you cannot interpret properly what is happening. But the body is always trying to tell us something. Pain, for example, is not a bad thing it, as such. Why did nature create pain? It's just to tell us something wrong in the body. Otherwise, you'll ignore it. If you, if you ignore it, then the disease comes and makes you much worse. So we don't want pain, but when pain comes, it means something has to be attended to and something has to be taken care of. So all of these emotions, for example, satisfaction. I'm satisfied uh, that you know, I've eaten something. It's good. I don't, I'm not feeling hungry anymore. There is a feeling of satisfaction. If we are, you know, wise and content and we feel, okay, um, I'm happy with what I have, I'm content, you convince yourself that you are content. But pleasure, you know, you, you go through some experience, you eat some amazing cake or, you know, have a nice time somewhere, something, and you feel pleasure, you say it's pleasure. Now, are these happiness? They're not really. Happiness is a feeling of wholeness that comes from the sense of well-being, which might include some satisfaction, some contentment, some uh, pleasure, etc., but they don't define happiness. Happiness is a feeling of progress in life, of past, present, and future being in tune with your own evolution. So when do we feel happiness? We feel happiness when we are in tune with ourselves, with our aims in life, with our goals, and we achieve them. So it's more than just contentment, pleasure, or, or satisfaction. And how does this happen? The system is there, again, like a light to tell you, you're doing the right thing, you're on the right path. So when we experience happiness is when we experience that we are moving forward in life. We are growing, we are achieving, and we are progressing. 
At the same time, when we are healthy and we don't have a disease on the physical level, etc., or we don't have a worry from our people we love or our environment. So that takes happiness to a holistic value, which includes the individual physiology as well as the future and the past, and as well as the environment, the people we love, the environment in which we live. Sometimes if you feel you know, something is happening in your society and people are not happy, there is, a, there is a war or there is a drama or there is an accident or there is crime, even your feeling in your home, yourself, everything is fine with you, but somehow you feel you're not so happy. So happiness is that wholeness. And this program actually of Maharshi's meditation is to create happiness. And the reason happiness comes on our screen, that it blinks now, oh, we are happy, so all the engines are working well, all the systems are working well, is a mechanism by nature to tell us we are on the right path. And also because the ultimate nature of life is bliss. We talked about the unified field as being a field of consciousness, pure consciousness. And the ancient knowledge, and the way Marshi brought it and the way we understand it, is that that field of consciousness, because it is fullness, because it is unboundedness, because it is all creativity, has a quality on the feeling level. And that quality is that of bliss, of happiness. So when you are in tune with yourself, when you know yourself, then you act in accordance with the laws of nature, then you achieve more, and you experience happiness as a result. Hello, I'm back. You've been listening to Kathy's Corner on WPKN. And the last 30 minutes of our show, I hope you've enjoyed a discussion by Dr. Tony Nader, uh, who is defining consciousness. That is always the theme of my show. And Dr. Nader is a neuroscientist and a Vedic expert. So he is combining the, the modern with the ancient, and he's quite knowledgeable on both topics. He, he, um, he encourages us to explore more of our own potential to live a more successful and more fulfilling life. And meditation is a tool. TM particularly is the one I'm familiar with, a procedure to unfold that happiness Dr. Nader is talking about. Understanding consciousness and its profound value to success both for the inner and the outer life, it's, it's a missing yet vital aspect to the peace 